Jonathan Lehman, one of our elders on the leadership team, had this to say in our most recent congregational meeting, and it stuck with me. He said this, praise God that we have not stopped being the church. Our physical building is not the church. We, God's people, are the church. And although we're talking about opening the physical building, the church has never been closed. Hmm. He's right. The church is not a place, is it, like any other places? Not a place that the government can say can or cannot reopen. A church is unlike, say, Costco, where we go to shop for products. It doesn't sell religious goods. It's not like Starbucks, where we go out of loyalty because we like the brand. And the church is, not, is completely different from Hershey Park, where an experience is guaranteed, so that every time we walk through the doors, we walk out going, boy, I'm glad I did that again. <laughs> no, the church, says the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2, is this. It says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Paul's saying that the church is God's very own family. Paul continues, built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. He's saying that the church is made up of family members. We might be really different from each other, but we have one thing in common. And what is that? Jesus is the center of our lives. Paul writes, in him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So it's Jesus who holds each family member together in God's family. And then he ends, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, God's family is inhabited by God. And God has said he doesn't dwell in a building made by human hands. God dwells in the midst of people whose lives are centered on Jesus. Wow. I am really glad for that. And let me tell you why as a pastor. Because a lot of us pastors right now are panicking. Yep, we are. We're wondering, now that people have not been gathering, maybe even gathering at other congregations or taking in their live streaming and sermons, will our people want to return? Will they come back? And I want you to know I've thought about that too. But the Lord's been speaking to me about the truth that the church is a living organism. It's not like any kind of, it's not like a human organization. And the reason why that's good news is because I've been reminded that our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with each other, that is at the core of being the church. And that building relationships outside the four walls of our building is actually more important than retaining, keeping people in the church, keeping them coming back. So I can join with Jonathan and say, praise God that we have not stopped being the church, that our physical building is not the church, and that we, God's people, are the church. So that's what I want to talk to you about today, is as we think about gathering again, what will be different about us after this unexpected pause? This week, one of our seniors was asking this question. She was saying, what has God taught us in this time? 
And I've thought about that as it relates to our church. What has being the church scattered taught us about being the church gathered? One pastor who's been thinking about this is Conrad Kanegi, who's pastor of Elizabeth Town Mennonite Church. And as he's been listening to the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit is saying to their church, this was his prayer that came out of that time of listening. He prayed, I pray that we will never go back to Egypt. We're going to church meant leaving our genuine selves at home so that we can be for two hours who we think others and God expects us to be. And he went on to say that he hopes when they gather again as a church, there'll be less pressure to perform and dress up. Hmm. As I consider what the Spirit is saying to Mountville Mennonite Church, I'm reminded of something that one of our members said during this pause. She said, we need to be treated as a family rather than a church that needs programs. Hmm. If, as she points out, the church is about being more than doing, then the glue that holds us together will not be our activities, our traditions, but our relationship. When Jesus formed his new family, he, made, he left, began it with a command in John chapter 13, love one another in the same way I have loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when, you, when they see the love you have for each other. So what does Jesus say is the basis for all Christian community? What does he say has a direct impact on our witness to the world? It's love, yes, but not just love. It is love for one another. And that phrase, one another, from the Greek word alelon, means one another, each other, mutually and reciprocally. And it occurs a hundred times in the New Testament. About 59 of those times, it teaches the new family how to relate and how not to relate to each other within this new body. So today I invite you to look at a few of these with me. And as we do, would you pray with me for the Holy Spirit to give us grace to practice these and other one another's as we contemplate regathering? Well, first we are to honor one another above ourselves. Romans 12:10 says that we are in a real sense members of one another. We're not free agents. We're not on our own, lone rangers. So what does it mean to outdo ourselves in respect and honor of one another? Well, one way I can think of building each other up with our words is doing it when we catch each other doing good. How many of us, including myself, are reluctant to lavish someone with praise out of fear of giving them a big head or making them uncomfortable? And yet when we make a big deal out of someone by encouraging them in their spiritual growth and their service, we're building them up. We're actually obeying the command to build one another up that's found in two places, Romans 14, 19 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, and also in Hebrews 10, 24, where it says stir up, which means to provoke or stimulate one another to love and good works. Why do we wait until people die to recognize and affirm all the good things we see in their life? The living are those who need to be encouraged and spurred on. 
I was really struck by this as Sherry Garber, our elder, shared this with me just recently. That's what it means to be the church. We need grace not just to honor one another with our words, but another one another, to accept and welcome one another, just as Jesus has done for us. Have you noticed how easy it is it is for me, for you, to accept others who think like us, believe like us, and look like us? When I think of the question, who are my people? I can easily put fences and boundaries around that. But as I think about this one another, accepting one another as the pastor of a predominantly white church, it's, I'm reminded of how easy it is in a church that's predominantly white not to talk about race. And I'm also aware that as more white churches are speaking right now about racial justice, that it's hard to see the church doing so with moral authority after being silent. And so I want to remind myself that we ignore the heresy of racism when we deny the fundamental connection between gospel and race. And where do we see that? In Galatians 3.28, we're told that we are all one in Jesus, regardless of race, social status, gender, and that this is the truth of the gospel. So as a white pastor, I am grateful for the insights of pastors who can see my blind sight, like Rich Viotis. Rich is a pastor of color of a multi-ethnic and multicultural church in Queens, New York. I visited Rich's church and he says, as long as the gospel is reduced to a personal decision resulting in private discipleship and a self-centered preoccupation, he warns we will tragically miss the core of the gospel. And what is that? He says, it's a declaration of Jesus's lordship resulting in a new family called from different places in life. And that is who we are. I've spoken to some of you in these past weeks from our church about this question, about welcoming and accepting in systemic racism. And you've been really honest with me as we've talked. I really appreciate your transparency because I could connect with you about the subtle ways that we express racial bias and prejudice or play a part and the racism in our society. And so I look forward to more honest conversations about that, about white privilege, racial injustice, and as most importantly, racial reconciliation. And I invite you to discern with me, what does it mean for us as a church to practically accept others, even as Jesus has accepted us, reinforcing what we believe is at the core of the gospel? We'll be like-minded towards one another, it says in Romans 15:5. What does this one another look like? To have the same point of view amongst ourselves? That seems hard, doesn't it? Well, it means following the example of Jesus by agreeing with one another that this, even if we disagree, that we will protect our bond of peace and unity. Well, I'm reminded of how this works when we relate to people who, although like us in a lot of ways, are really different. Sometimes we see those differences in that we are in different seasons of life. Our schedules don't always line up. Our priorities are different. Some are super organized, even personality-wise, and some are more spontaneous. And yet I see people like this in our church being like-minded in their harmony as together they walk with Jesus. Listen to how three couples from our church are doing this and have been doing this over these past weeks in our small groups, our compass groups. 
Jonathan Lehman shared this recently in one of our weekly updates. He said, since quarantine started, we've been able to meet almost every week on a Zoom call. Once the kids have been settled for the evening, he said last week, so this was about two weeks ago, we talked about how much we've enjoyed being able to share with each other in this way. Especially when we each came with varied experiences and opinions regarding COVID-19 and the quarantine. Jonathan says that while we were together, we felt we were able to share and not be judged for how we felt and how we could use each other as a sounding board. We're thankful for the commitment we have to make our group a priority and also to give grace and understanding when we need to reschedule at the last minute. He said, our Compass Group Zoom calls have been an unexpected gift during the last few months. Well, getting along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us is core to being the church. And I could go on talking to you about the one another's, forgiving one another, being patient with one another, being kind and compassionate to one another, even speaking to one another about what God's doing and teaching us with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, confessing our faults to one another, and lastly, not passing judgment on one another. So what if being the church meant that you and I didn't hide the ugliest parts of our lives? And it didn't mean burying our bruises under layers of perfectionism and pride. What if being the church meant exposing our scars even as symbols of our own redemption and stories of what God's doing in our lives to make us new? Each of us are going through stuff today. Jesus is still bringing us through it. We're not finished. But we get to join together as the new family of Jesus. And as we do, we get to lay down our heavy loads that we carry. And as the church, we can lock arms and move forward together through the highs and the lows. We can do so like the 40 faithful men written about in a bestseller that one of you gave me, Extreme Devotion by Voice of the Martyrs. These men lived out 2 Timothy 2.3, where Paul encourages a young pastor named Timothy to endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. These men lived in AD 320 in the eastern half of the Roman Empire under a cruel general who demanded that every soldier under his command sacrifice to the Roman gods. What can we learn from some Roman soldiers who were in such a predicament? Well, when 40 men of this thundering legion, as they were called, refused to bow down and give up worship of God, what happened? They were whipped, torn with hooks, and imprisoned in chains. And when they would still not deny the Lord, they were stripped of their clothes and left in the middle of a frozen lake. This cruel general kept a warm bath it was available for anyone who give up their convictions. And so those men prayed together that their number would not be broken. Even as they prayed, though, and as it grew dark, one of them could not bear the cold any longer and ran to the warm bath. One of the guards who watched the 40 brave soldiers sing to Christ, he actually became angry 
that one would give in to the general's orders, and his anger turned to conviction, and then conviction turned to faith. He tore off his clothes, and he ran out on the icy lake, fulfilling their promise to be 40 brave soldiers for Christ. The 40 died together that day. So I say to you again, praise God that we have not stopped being the church, that our physical building is not the church, that we, God's people, are the church. And as the church, we can lock arms together. We can move forward even through highs and lows, and we are able to encourage the faith of each member in the new family of Jesus. So that when you and I are weak, we can receive strength that God provides through our sisters and brothers. And so let's keep learning from what we've learned from being the church scattered to now being the church gathered.